0: Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. And we, we do honor mothers, and I was told one time I didn't have a mother, but uh, I know I do. I saw her on Friday, and uh, uh, she's as beautiful and as talented and wonderful as I've ever known, and uh, my dad is still my dad. So uh, it's good to know uh, we have mothers here today. Those of you that have come to honor your mothers, we appreciate you being here. And unfortunately, you're not going to hear a sermon about mothers. Uh, you know, sometimes when, we, when a pastor plans out his calendar, the calendar makes no difference to God's Word. It just This is the way it turned out. We're still in our series on Hosea. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Hosea. Let's look at Hosea chapter 5 today. Years ago, there was a movie that was, uh, came out. I did not see it when it first came out, but I saw it in the reruns. It was called Death Takes a Holiday. Uh, Frederick March played in the movie. I think they eventually made a remake called Meet Joe Black. But anyway, Death Takes a Holiday. And in that movie, the, the death angel, or whoever it was, decided he was going to take a holiday from his activities. And so he, he took on the form of a, of a human, and for three days he dwelt amongst the people. He wanted to find out why did people hate death. Why did they hate him so much? And during his absence from his duties, there was accidents and and things happening around the world, but nobody was able to die because death had taken a holiday. Now, I know that's a fictitious story, and we know that death never takes a holiday, but it got me to thinking in, in in a more spiritual term, what would happen if God took a holiday from the church? What would it look like if God just decided to remove his presence and take a holiday from the life of a church? I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, God would never do that. God is incapable of doing that. However, as we look at God's word and we begin to look at that, we see that's exactly what God did to the nation of Israel. That's what God did to the nation of Judah. And I'm here to tell you today that if God can withdraw His presence from the people of Israel, He can certainly withdraw His presence from a church. Because the church is the new Israel. God is God. And He can do whatever He wants, however He wants it, whenever He wants it. So this morning we want to continue looking at Hosea chapter 5. Uh, we're going to look at these words. We're going to read the entire passage just so you can kind of get the feel. But our focus will be in verses 4 through 6. We're going to look at these words under the heading, Why Does God Withdraw From a Church? Hosea chapter 5, verse 1 reads this, Hear this, you priest. Pay attention, you Israelites. Listen, O royal house. Those three things, he hits everybody. He hits the, the spiritual leaders, he hits the people, and he hits the political leaders as well. This judgment is against you. You've been a snare at Mizpah, a net spread out on Tabor. The rebels are deep in slaughter. I will discipline all of them. I know all about Ephraim. That's just another name for Israel. Israel's not hidden from me. Ephraim, you have now to prostitution. Israel is corrupt. Their deeds do not permit them return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord. Israel's arrogance testifies against them. The Israelites, even Ephraim, stumble in their sin. Judah also stumbles with them. When they go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, they will not find Him. He has withdrawn Himself from them. They are unfaithful to the Lord. They give birth to illegitimate children. Now their new moon festivals will devour them and their fields. Sound the trumpet in Gebeah, the horn in Ramah. Raise the battle cry in beth Lead on, O Benjamin. Ephraim will be laid waste on the day of reckoning. Among the tribes of Israel I proclaim what is certain. Judah's leaders are like those who move boundary stones. I will pour out my wrath on them like a flood of water. Ephraim is oppressed, trampled in judgment, intent on pursuing idols. I am like a moth to Ephraim, like rot to the people of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his sores, then Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help. But he is not able to cure you, not able to heal your sores. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. Then I will go back to my place until they admit their guilt and they will seek my face. In their misery, they will earnestly seek me. We could very easily transpose the word church in the place of Israel. As we look at these passages this morning, three truths I I see in this passage. First, God withdraws from a church when hearts are not right. God withdraws from a church when hearts are not right. Look at verse 4, the second part. He says, "A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord. They have an obsession with idolatry and and, and the immoral behavior that, that went with Idol worship. When you see that phrase, spirit of prostitution, that's exactly what he's talking about. He's saying it's in their blood. It's a part of who they are, it's a part of their lifestyle. Indulgence had become uh, a habit, and habit had become compulsive behavior for the people of Israel. They knew idolatry was wrong. They knew it was wrong based upon what God had told them in the past, but they stubbornly chose to cling. To their idols. Today we call it an addiction. They're addicted to their idolatry. They're addicted to this. God says it's not addiction, it's a choice. They chose to do this. They knew what was right, but they chose to do something different. God says this was a decision that Israel chose to make. And this is a predominant theme within the book of Hosea. We see it played out in the first three chapters of Hosea in Gomer's relationship to her husband Hosea. He had a steadfast love for her. He made a commitment to her, but she refused him and she rebelled from him and she chased after other lovers. She chased after other things that would satisfy her and she conceived illegitimate children because of the relationships that she had with these other people.
1: And Hosea says that
0: Israel is the same way as my wife, Gomer. They are the exact same people. I wonder. I wonder if a spirit of adultery may exist in churches today. You know, we may put things in the place of God. Subtly. But sometimes it's blatant. We put things in the place of God. I remember years ago, my seminary professor shared a story. Of an evangelist who came to the church and preached a week-long series of sermons, a week-long series of messages. And every night, if he'd stand, every night the the auditorium would have in it these individuals who always came in their softball uniforms. Apparently there was a tournament going on that week. And the men would always come and they'd sit in a row and they'd all have on softball uniforms. And the time the preacher got to preach, they'd all stand up and they'd make their way out the door to go play softball. This went on every night of the revival. On the last night of the revival, the team won the tournament. So they were the champions in the city, and they won the tournament. So the revival started 30 minutes earlier. And 30 minutes earlier, he said it became more of a pep rally than it was an evangelistic service. As everybody uh, talked about the, the team, and they were awarded the, their championship trophy, and then they were awarded their individual trophies, their most valuable player and all that stuff. And then they, they everybody went back to the room, and they came time for the evangelists to preach. And the evangelist got up on the platform and he looked down and he picked up the trophy. And he held it high in the air and he goes, Behold your God. And he threw it on the floor and walked off the stage. A little dramatic. Uh, A little dramatic. But did it not reveal a truth? Let me ask you a question. What are you holding up as your God? What are you placing in the place of God? What are you exalting before God? What are we as a church exalting before God? What are we holding up in the place of God? You know what it is, don't you? It's that thing you cannot let go of. No matter what it is, you just cannot let go of. Because it's become your God. It's that thing that you put before God. Our hearts are not right.
1: When our hearts are not right,
0: let me tell you something, folks. God will withdraw from a church whose heart is not right with Him. He will withdraw, just like He did with the nation of Israel. He will do it. That's why our prayer ought to be the prayer of Psalm 139. All the time we'll be praying this Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my actions, my my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That should be our prayer. Day by day, week by week, that ought to be our prayer. I pray that God will not withdraw his presence from Western Heights Baptist Church. Second, God withdraws from a church when attitudes are not right. There was another concern with the people. Look at the first part of verse 4. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. Their behavior contradicted what God had revealed to them. It had become an obsession with them. Their actions, things they did became an obsession, and it was keeping them from God. You see, what Israel wanted, they wanted God, but they also wanted Baal. They wanted the best of both worlds. They wanted to enjoy the benefits of being a child of God, but they also wanted the joy and the benefits and the excitement of worshiping Baal. It's kind of like the, you know, the old story of the, of the soldier in the foxhole. And, and he's praying to all the gods that existed. And somebody said, why are you doing that? He goes, I want to have all my bases covered. It was the same way with Israel. They knew who God was, but they wanted to have the benefits of both. Israel was doing the same thing, but ultimately, they ended up having no desire at all to enjoy intimacy with the Lord. And once this attitude develops, they will not come back to God. It's not that they can't come back to God. It's but that they will not come back to God. Look at verse 5. It says, Israel's arrogance testifies against them. We could translate that. The church's arrogance testifies against them. It means they wore their pride on their faces. And the fact that the actual Hebrew means they were proud of being proud. We're so prideful, we're proud about it. We're proud of the way that we are. They could not admit that they might be doing something wrong. They could not admit that they might not have it right. They could not admit because if they admitted, it would be an indication that they had done something wrong or that they were doing something wrong. Listen, Arrogance keeps people in sin. Arrogance keeps people from choosing God. Arrogance refuses to admit that we might be wrong or might have made a mistake. And listen, arrogance keeps sinners from the cross and it keeps the church from God. Arrogance will not admit who they are. Years ago, D.L. Moody told the story in his autobiography. He said that, one Sunday in a church that he attended, he filled the roll, two, two rows of, of, of the church, two pews of the church with some, some street urchins, some uh, little rejects, some kids from the street. You know, they didn't dress right, didn't look right, didn't smell right. And he filled two rows with it. And he was trying to become a member of the church. So he went before the board of, uh, of directors of that church. Uh, you can tell it wasn't a Baptist church. He went before the board of the directors and said, I'd like to be a member of the church. But this, him bringing all these little kids really irked them, made them mad. And they said, we think you need to reevaluate and think this through, that you really want to be a part of this church. He said, why don't you pray about it and come back in a month? He said, okay, I'll do that. So he came back and met with a meeting that he said after a month, and they said, did you pray to God? He said, yes, I did. He said, what God did today? He said, don't worry about it. He's been trying to get in that church for 25 years. <laughs> Lest you think that is a funny little story that happened long time ago. Consider this. I had one of my good friends, was pastor of a large inner city church uh, that was a wealthy church, a very influential church in the state of Arkansas. And he was having great success of reaching black folks, African Americans, people of a darker color skin in that church. Great success of reaching the youth. It upset the status quo in the church and that youth better was sent packing out the door. It happens. Listen, God cannot be a part of a church that's arrogant. He can't. Why is that? Because when a church is arrogant, the voice of God cannot be heard. When a church is arrogant, God's will is unable to be experienced. When a church is arrogant, they refuse to believe they could be wrong. Arrogance keeps people from seeking the Lord. Arrogance keeps people from acknowledging His ways. And listen, God will have nothing to do with such a church. He can't. He can't do it. Arrogance says that we don't have to do anything different. Arrogance says we don't have to change. Arrogance says we are okay the way we are. I remember one church where I served and I was brought in, I was brought into that little church to try to, try to change the perceptions of the church in the community. And so I said, said you know, God has given us a task, this wonderful responsibility to reach out to our community around us. And, and in order to do that, we got to change the, change what we do. We, we got to kind of change our perceptions in the community. So so that we we can create a new vision, a new idea of who we were. And after I preached that sermon and everybody said, amen, amen, amen. I remember standing at the back greeting the people and two ladies walking out saying, this is still our church. That is the height of arrogance. This is not our church. This is God's church. It may be the church we attend, but we do not own this church. God owns this church. It's His church. It's His prerogative to do what He wants, when He wants, how He wants, and whatever. It's His prerogative. We live and breathe at His good pleasure. It's His church. Israel forgot that. Israel forgot that they belonged to God. They were his people, a holy people, a royal priesthood, a people chosen by him. And they forgot that. We need to live a lifestyle of self-examination. We need to honestly evaluate our attitudes. We need to honestly evaluate our behaviors. We need to ask ourselves, are our ways God's ways? Or are our thoughts God's thoughts? And if they are not God's ways, and they are not God's thoughts, then we need to rid ourselves of those things. We must deal with those attitudes. I pray that that, that would not be the attitude that we have. I pray that God will not withdraw from this fellowship of believers. God withdraws from a church when actions are not right. One thing that was not lacking in Israel was religion. And they had that down to a T. They were very religious people. They were full of religion. Look at verse 6. When they go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, they will not find him. When they go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, they will not find him. He's talking about their worship celebration. He's talking about as they're making their way to the the worship celebration with their sacrifices, with those things they're going to give to the Lord, their sacrifices will not be acceptable to God. Now, they're going to do it. And they're going to go through the motions. It's just not going to be acceptable to them. Today we would probably say something like when they come to the church with their tithes and with their offerings, with their prayers and with their praise, it will not be acceptable to God. It will not please Him. He will not acknowledge it. Why is that? Why is that? Because God is wanting to know that they they can no longer depend on external rituals to make them right. With him. Those external rituals will not communicate effectively. You see, God was not interested in the externals of religion, but he was interested in the internals of a relationship with him. The same thing happened to the nation of of Judah. Let me illustrate it by doing it this way Jeremiah got a word from the Lord. And he said, Jeremiah, I want you to stand at the back of the church. I want you to stand at the gates to the holy temple. I want you to stand there and I want you to deliver this word as the people are coming in. This is what he's supposed to be saying. Listen to what he says. I think i got it on the screen for you. Jeremiah chapter 7. This is a word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Or this is the house of God, this is the house of God, this is the house of God. He says, change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly. Then I will let you live in this place. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the prophet Jeremiah? No wonder they didn't like him, right? I don't want Can you imagine the prophet Jeremiah standing at the back of the temple and his people come in, he's shouting those words. They said, But wait a minute, we're coming to worship. We'll come in to give sacrifices. We'll come in to give our tithes. He goes, Hear the word of the Lord. Don't you ever say, We can just go to the house of God. It'll be okay. Not if God doesn't live there. Not if God doesn't. It's the same thing happened in the New Testament. Jesus pronounces his woes upon the Pharisees and the leaders. He goes, when Jesus had, in in Luke chapter 11, verses 37 and following, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, so he went in and reclined at the table, but the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you foolish people did not the one who made the outside make the inside also but give what is inside the dish to the poor and everything will be clean for you woe to you pharisees because you give god a tenth of your mint rue and all other kinds of garden herbs but you neglect justice and the love of god you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone Jeremiah to the people of Judah, Hosea to the people of Israel, Jesus to the religious establishment of the day. Mahatma Gandhi, everybody knows who Mahatma Gandhi is, leader of India all those years. He attended a church in Pretoria, South Africa. He was investigating this thing called Christianity. And he went into there, and this is his own words from his autobiography. He said this, The congregation did not strike me as being particularly religious. They were not an assembly of devout souls, but appeared rather to be worldly-minded people going to church for recreation and in conformity to custom. Therefore, he concluded that Christianity had nothing to offer to Hinduism, so he left it. Did you catch that last part? Appeared rather to be worldly-minded people going to church for recreation and in conformity to custom. The church during Gandhi's life, the religious leaders in the New Testament, the people of Judah, the people of Israel, all made the same mistake. They assumed Religious activity could justify them. That's what they assumed. As long as they are faithful to the religious activities, everything will be fine. We need to learn a lesson as well. The external the externals of religion are not what matters. What matters is what's in your heart. That's what matters. Let me tell you something, my friends. God will withdraw from a church whose religious activities are nothing but ritual. Nothing but ritual. There's no change of heart. There's no compassion. It's just ritual that you go through. Because that's okay. You can come back again next Sunday and do it all over again. But it means nothing whatsoever. What happened because the people's hearts, attitudes, and actions were wrong? What happened? Notice what it says in verse 6. He has withdrawn himself from them. Can there be a sadder verse in the Bible? God has withdrawn himself from them. I can only think of one thing to be sadder. God withdraws Himself from them forever. Forever. What do we do? What do we do when it happens? (laughs) That's why I'm so thankful for God's Word. He always gives us a remedy. He always gives us a remedy. Look at verse 15. God says, after I punish them, I'm going to go back to my place until they admit their guilt and they will seek my face. In their misery, they will earnestly seek me. God gives us a three step process.
1: When He's withdrawn from
0: our presence, He gives us a three step process. First, we've got to admit our guilt. Admit their guilt. Admit, admit that you're guilty. Admit that your heart's wrong. Admit that your attitude's wrong. Admit that your actions are wrong. To take responsibility and admit their personal guilt. And the language, this is the part that will get us as Baptists, the language is a public acknowledgement. Publicly acknowledge your guilt. Boy, that'll get us every time, won't it? Because we're such private people. Well, you know, I'm a priest and I don't have to confess anything. Well, public acknowledgement. If you want to admit it before people who love you, you won't ever admit it to people that don't. What's the second thing? Second, seek God's face. Now listen, in order to seek God's face, it means you have to turn away from something else. You can't seek God's face at the same time looking this way. You've got to earnestly, you've got to seek God's face. So it means turning from something and turning to something else. Seeking God's face face. And finally, it's redundant, but I think he's drawing a point. In their misery, they will earnestly seek me. Earnestly seek God. Well, You're seeking God's face, but it's still a little bit peripheral. He says, but, but whenever you got to that point and you recognize, you're looking at the intensity of the holiness of a God, and you are truly seeking Him, you will fall upon your face, you will fall upon your knees and say, oh God, have mercy on a sinner such as me. Have mercy, and you will earnestly, earnestly with every bit of your being seek God and seek His will. He said, when you've done that, God says, when the people of Israel have done that, then I will return. Then I will bestow upon them the blessings. When a church does that, then God will return to that church and bestow His hand of blessing upon that church once again. Once again. It's my hope and my prayer that we, as a church, built by Jesus, built on Jesus, and built for Jesus, will recognize this truth. And say, God, whatever it is, God, whatever it is that You have me to do, whatever it is You have us as a church to do, God, we are willing. We are willing. Whatever it takes, God. Whatever it takes. We want to be right with You. That is my hope. That is my prayer. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. But it's going to be a little different than a prayer of invitation. I would probably be afraid to respond to a sermon like this. Because everybody's gonna be looking at me and think, what's he doing wrong? (laughs) What's he confessing? So let me as your pastor that you've given me the wonderful privilege to be. Let me as your preacher. Let me say a prayer for our church. It might be one minute. It might be five minutes. It might be 50 minutes. And if you just feel that in the middle of prayer that you just need to get up and go to Sunday school, keep walking out the door. Just keep walking. Because we're here to seek the face of God. Let me pray with you. Let it be pray for our church. Father God, We come before you this morning. Father, if we ever needed you, we need you now. Father, we live in a world that does not want you, does not desire you, does not have a craving for you. Just like my friend Kip said, Father, about mothers and Father, how all the prisoners, Father, all responded positively to the moms. Father, they did not respond positively to the dads. Father, how can we tell the people about a loving father when their own fathers are not accepted? Father, we have problems in this world in which we live. And Lord, too often, I know this is true in my own life, Father, too often we can fall into the rituals, we can fall into the routines. Father, we can fall into the religious cycle. They give us warm fuzzies. They make us feel good on the inside. They encourage us. But Father, we don't do anything different. There's no change in our lives. There's no change in what we do.
1: There's no desire
0: to reach our community. There's no interest, Father, in doing things that benefit our community, Father. Everything benefits us. Oh, God, we are sinners in need of Your loving grace to be bestowed upon us. Oh, Father, break the cycle of rebellion in our hearts. Break the cycle of sin in our hearts, Father. Forgive us when we put more emphasis in the ritual than we do God. Father, forgive us when we put more emphasis, Lord, in what we do instead of why we do it. Father, forgive us when we're just biding our time until you call us home. And Father, all around us, all around us, Father, people are dying. They're lost. And they're going to hell without Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, break our hearts for the things that break yours. I've heard it said time and time again, Father, we've reached everybody in this. We've ministered to everybody in this community. We've knocked on every door. They know where we're at. Yet, Father, it grieves my heart to think that, well, Father, He just might not be working in our lives. We gather to pray, Father, and it's a handful. We study your word, Father, but we don't want to worship. We're more committed, Father, to our traditions and to our rituals than we are to a relationship to you. And Father, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. You know, Isaiah said it this, Father. Woe to me for I'm a sinner because I dwell amongst the people. I dwell amongst the people, Father. Who give lip service to you, who go through the motions. God, I pray for Western Heights. Father, I always pray the same things. Father, help our church get bigger, better, and broader. But Father, I've changed my prayer now. I've changed my prayer. Because Father, everything I pray, Father, I was putting everything back on you. Asking You to help us get bigger. Asking You to help us get better. Asking You to help us get broader. And Father, I never put myself in the equation. So Father, I pray today that You would use me to help this church get bigger. I pray, Father, that You'd use the people in this congregation to help this church get bigger. Father, it is a sin for us to expect You to do something by a miracle that, Father, we will not do by obedience. So God, I pray that You would use us to get this church, to move this church to be bigger. And Father, as we step out on faith into the realm of the unknown, Father, we will then experience the power of the risen God working through us. Father, not only I pray that You would use me and use this congregation, Father, to help us get bigger, Father, I pray that You'd use me and use this congregation, Father, to help us get better, that, Father, we will commit ourselves to studying Your Word, digging deeper in Your Word, Father, so that it impacts our life. And, Father, it's just not words on a page. Father, forgive us when our quarterly becomes our Bible. And, Father, we become dependent upon a quarterly, Father, to teach Your Word. Father, let us be people that open our Bibles. Let us be people, Father, that are living in Your Word, communicating in Your Word, Father, and seeing how Your Word Changes our lives. Oh, God, help us to get better, spiritually deeper in your word, loving you more intensely and loving each other, Father, with the same love that you have for us. And then, Father, help us. Use us, Father, to help this church get broader, Father. To expand our sphere of influence in this community where you place us. Lord, I don't know what that looks like. I know what it doesn't look like. So, Father, I pray that you'd use us so we can get bigger, we can get better, we can get broader. Father, four things we pray for individuals in this church. We pray, Father, that people will turn from their sins and turn to Christ. We pray for salvation, God. Use us, Father, to make that a reality. God, we pray for marriages to be restored. Marriages are fallen by the wayside, Father. At least 50% in, in the life, in the world today, and it's the same in the church. And Father, now we're hearing that 70% of people aren't even getting married, they're just living together. Woe is us! Woe is us when we do not stand up and preach the truth and teach the truth, Father. Help us, Lord, to do our best to help restore marriages, Father, and reunite families. Moms and dads coming together, little children coming together. And Father, finally we pray that addictions will be overcome whatever those addictions are. I am myself, Father, I have no power to communicate with any one, Father, who goes through an addiction. I cannot understand that. But Father, I pray that you take away their addictions to pornography, drugs, alcohol, money, gambling, whatever it is, Father, and you give them an addiction to God. That Father, they will seek you earnestly and turn from those things that they used to put before you. I pray, Father, for this church. I pray, God, for a movement of the Holy Spirit in the life of this church. Touch our hearts, God. Break down the walls that hinder us from being effective in this community. Father, do not let it be the words of this church we ain't ever done it that way before. Instead, Father, let the words be whatever God would have us to do. Whatever God would have us to do, we are willing to do it for His glory, for His honor, and so that people may know. That people may know Jesus and be saved by Him. Bless this congregation, Father. I pray, God, that You will not withdraw from us. But, Father, we will sense Your presence in this church daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly. And Father, we will see, we will see the movement of the Holy Spirit radically transform lives for Your glory and for Your honor. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray this prayer. Amen.